Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. John, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Eric, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I know that we're talking about a subject that you, you guys have covered on the podcast before in, in different capacities. I mean, come on. You, you guys are approaching 100 podcasts, which is fantastic. And congratulations on Scary, that. Scary, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you, you guys have a lot to share, right? And so I know that you guys are honing in on selling a business and you guys are going to talk about the different ways you can sell the business, who you can sell to. Michael, I know this is something that you really have uh, a lot of knowledge about, especially uh, I like to hear from both of you because, Michael, you come from uh, an attorney's point of view as well as financial, uh, where your, your dad takes more of the financial lead on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think this topic is something we haven't, like you said, Eric, we have covered probably earlier on in some of our earlier podcasts. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when the last time we've really talked about this, but I, I thought it would be good to really revisit that and, and really b- hone in a little bit more on the different types of options. If you are thinking about selling your business, you know, what are the, what options are available uh, to you and maybe some of the pros and cons on each one of these options. And, and it's something that you, we typically like to talk to our families about uh, business owner families that are on our platform. We, we like to talk to them about this pretty much right when we start working with them. And it's something that, again, as family CFOs, when we look at a business owner, normally, I think we did, we ran some statistics in, in our firm. I think for our families, the business asset comprises, I think, anywhere between 65 and 70% of the family's overall net worth. Mm-hmm. So when you look at how important that asset is to the family and their long-term wealth success, it's it's vital and and particularly when you're looking at a succession conversation is like when do you start having that conversation and we typically say as soon as you start the business that's usually mm-hmm. when True. We, which sometimes catches families off guard or uh, I had one conversation with a colleague and he was pushing back a, a little bit at this conversation with me and he said well you know the, all these business owners when they're starting a business they're not thinking about exiting they're thinking about you know what do i need to do to grow the business and and i said well that's true and that i know that that's probably in the forefront of their mind but i think it is really important that business owners regardless of where you are and whether you're forming a company or maybe you're at the late stage of maybe exiting your company that you really just spend time on a pretty routine basis just thinking about it maybe setting a couple hours aside and just talking about okay well if something happened to me tomorrow what happens to this business and how would i want that business to be transferred to my family because or or to my family or to somebody else for the benefit of my family so it's important to talk about it on a regular basis well you can't spell succession without success yeah right i mean it's a challenge eric all the time it's because you can't you have to start thinking about it on a few levels, and Michael will get into it, but leadership roles, if it's a family-owned business, who's going to step in and lead the company mm-hmm. when mom or dad, whoever the leader was who's running the company, are no longer there? Where's the leadership in the family? Are they capable of continuing to grow the company or work the company? 
Uh, if, if not, what's the valuation issue? Has a decrease? What's the benefit or lack of benefit to the family? I mean, it's all these very complex issues. And to Michael's point, no one likes talking about it. I mean, we, we have those conversations. We get blank stares. Nah, haven't thought about it recently. About 20 years. <laughs> so we, yeah. we force them into, into that conversation. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, where we come for the, the position we come from with a family is looking at it more from the family side. And what I mean by that is, again, with the, the business asset being typically the largest asset in the family, what we're really looking at oftentimes is how do we protect that value for the family and for future generations of the family. But of course, almost every one of our business owners, they look at from a succession standpoint is how do I protect this company, not just for my family, but for my employees, you know, mm -hmm. they treat their employees like family and they want to make sure that they're not leaving them in the lurch if something were to not be done properly on the succession side. So it's really important that you talk about this, which is why we thought it might be good podcast to really talk about the different options that you might have in terms of who you are or can sell your business to and and how that works and what the ramifications of that might be. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So, uh, Dad, maybe we should talk about what you just alluded to, which is family businesses. And, and if you have a family business and you have a family member in the business. We have one. We do, yes. Yeah, we have one. <laughs> how do you, how, how does that family come into the succession conversation in terms of what are the pros and cons of that decision in a family business? Yeah, and, and, and it gets back to that leadership question. Children are children, of, and, and they have different levels of sophistication, knowledge, motivation, passion, and that's got to be measured by a mom or dad who's running the company because we're all mom and dads that say we love our kids equally. Well, some might not. I, I have this one in my family. I'm just kidding. But we love our kids equally, and we want to be fair to all of them. And it's not fair that Michael runs the company, and the, my girls don't get a chance to do that because Michael's working. And so, so a discussion has to be had. Who's interested, number one, <laughs> to step in and learn about this business and you'll find that your kids will give you that clear message like my girls did they said dad i don't do math <laughs> i keep telling them it's not math they go dad i don't do math i'm, I'm a, i want to be a writer i want to write a book and i'm not interested in working with copper beats michael's got the show let him run the show so early on in that discussion although your kids have to be older some families the kids are so young there's no perspective yet but as the kids get older those conversations should be had who would be interested in stepping into learning this business from the ground up? Mm -hmm. Because most, most people think they could just step in and be a VP of the company because they're the son or the daughter. That doesn't work. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's, it's to doom the failure. So you'll, you got to test the kids at a certain age who's interested. And once they're interested, make sure they understand they got to learn every facet of the business before they sit in the big chair. But then you get to the leadership issue. They might have the motivation. They might have the desire. They might have some of the skill set, but it ain't easy running a business. I, I, it's not. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. You're juggling 50 things at the same time. And I said to Michael on a couple fronts through the years, you know, when you go home and see your kids, now this is I was picking on him at one conversation. You don't have to worry about the business because dad's wor dad's worrying about it. Mm -hmm. Although Michael was worried about the business, but he had the same pressure I had. 
I worry about payroll and new, new opportunities and service issues and technology decisions or whatever. Michael, Michael, when he started, had that focus. I had to take that focus. So it's not easy run, running a business. So you have to really get in and talk to your kids and see who's interested and measure the skill sets that they have. Right. And, and how, how does that business, if, if you've decided that the family succession option is a viable one, which to your point, that might not always be the case. How do you go about making that transfer? Is it a gift to them? Is it a sale to one or multiple of your children that might be involved in that business. So there's all of those thoughts about how to best accomplish that transition, which again, can, can get back to your point about the family business and that the next generation really needing to have that leadership role or being in a good position to be able to take over the company. Because let's say you do a sale transaction as an example, and the gen one might be relying on the, those uh, sale proceeds to meet their retirement lifestyle. And if Gen 2 can't manage the business effectively, that might be jeopardized. And so there's all these, little, you know, family businesses are <laughs> really complicated, as you can imagine. And we've talked a lot on the podcast about family businesses in particular. But that's, um, that, that's one option that business owners have is that the family, you know, might want to be taking over that company. So that's a very, very viable option. You know, the one thing that I always come uh, talk about, or we do, I should say, with the family business context is, and you alluded to, is a state equalization. I was on a conference a few weeks ago, and, and one of the presenters was talking about business succession, and he had a statement that I thought was really accurate, which is, sometimes equal is not always fair. And I think that really is a, is a pretty astute observation with family business succession is I think sometimes you have a state equalization issues. Families and Gen 1s might want to leave the business equally to all of their children, even if not all of their children are running the business or involved in the business. And sometimes that may or may not be the best decision. So that's one, one con, if you will, is to make sure that you're managing those different variables in that succession yeah, we have a yeah we have a family we're working with now, and that's a that's a good example, Mario. That that has a structure that dad stepped away from the business, the son's running it, daughter never was involved in the business, but mom and dad's will says upon our death, each kid gets fifty percent of the value of the company. So the question mark is, from the son's standpoint, okay, I got a fifty percent partner with my my sister who's never run the business mm -hmm. and has fifty percent of the vote. Is that fair? I'll leave it at that. It's a challenge. So, so we see structures in these families, the heart's in the right spot, but it could cause some difficulty unless it's addressed fair, fairly, to Michael's point. So, so it's a dialogue that has to, have, have, has to happen from G1 to G2 and, and should be reviewed all the, all the time and, and understood that this, this clarity, there's gotta be clarity on what the next step is when mom and dad are no longer here. If there's no clarity, it causes problems. Now, getting back to the beginning of opening a business, one of the things we always stress is having things in trust. Now, this might be a little premature for some people, but think about what a trust does. It's an asset protection vehicle. So if you own a business, why shouldn't it be owned in a trust that's asset protected from creditors? 
So, and plus from an equalization standpoint, the trust could receive the value of the business in trust for the benefit of all the beneficiaries, i.e. all the children. So there's planning around the structure of this as well. So it's not just what I, what do I do with the business? How is it owned? How does it get distributed? Who controls it? And is everybody being treated fairly? So it's just one of those things where we have multiple hours of conversations. You see, it opens a bunch of can of worms, but they're good cans of worms. worms. Yep. All right, so let's, let's move. Let's say for the sake of argument, family is not going to be an option for the business. One reason or another, maybe the family is not interested in taking over the company. Maybe they're not uh, otherwise qualified. Whatever the reason is, now we start looking at maybe other parties. And, and typically, the most common one we see, at least at the start, is I'm just going to sell it to, let's say, a strategic purchaser. I'm going to sell it to a, a competitor in my field. They may want to purchase my company as I'm going to exit. Let's talk a little bit about maybe the pros and cons of that. I think the pros right off the bat is you're probably going to sell your company to, if you've chosen the right buyer that's in your industry, that they know your industry so that you have, uh, let's say, a higher degree of certainty that they're going to be successful in keeping the business afloat, which again, depending on the structure of how you sell your company, could be a really key component into how you get paid out if you're going to fully realize the proceeds of your of your sale, because we very often see buyouts over a period of years, let's say, and it's very rarely that we see a you know lump sum a purchase of a business to a strategic buyer. Usually that, that buyer needs to get financing to some degree to be able to make that purchase. And the, the negotiation is that they pay the seller out over a period of time. So that's, that's one pro, I guess you could say, is that there's perhaps a higher degree of likelihood that they're going to be successful in their company. But that's not always the case, right? They might, they might not, or they might have a different culture than you do. We see that a lot with a lot of companies that are exploring selling to a strategic purchaser and they say, you know what, I, I know, I know everybody in our, in our industry and I just don't really agree with their culture. They don't appreciate their employees the same way that I do. They don't have the same strategic vision that I do. And so that might be a con if you decide to go that route is how the, the culture of the company is and the legacy of the company plays into into that succession plan as well. I would say another another con might be kind of along similar lines is your employee base. If you sell to a strategic buyer, they might already have certain people in place in certain roles and they may not need all your employees. So certainly figure out ahead of time how that's going to work or how that might look like. Again, most of our business owners really think of their employees as their second family. So they really don't want that to be impacted negatively if they were to say that's that those are the typical two cons that I would say. What's some other ones? I would think maybe staying on as as a, an employee, that's another. I guess it could be a pro or a con. But you know, if you you know, a lot of buyers want the seller to stay on for a period of years. And it's a requirement a, most cases. Yeah, yeah, most of the time it's a requirement. But that is an interesting adjustment too. You go from maybe being the owner and CEO to now being a employee. You're not making the decisions anymore. So there's some some cons there that you need to, and dynamics that you have to manage there as well. The, the other con would be the tax exposure you're going to have on the gain side, depending on, obviously, your calculations with your basis in the company. Uh, most companies have grown substantially over the last few years. So it's not, remember, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. So I, we've had conversations with families that says, listen, I'm stressed. I want to sell the company. You know, let's prepare to do that. When I do the calculation from a math standpoint, what they're actually going to keep, 
Does it make sense for them to hold on to the business, not sell it, bring in a management team to run the business so they could take more time off and relieve their stress, or build a board of directors that runs the company along with the management team, give, give them more time to, to take the stress away and still hold on to the business? Because the business has a, has a good cash flow and salary options, uh, why would you want to sell it? You just want to get out from underneath it because it's too stressful. And then ultimately, something happens to you, there's some kind of trigger advice, and then it's up to the family to deal with it. And that's just another conversation for, for another time. Yeah. But that's, but that's one of those things where you have to have an understanding that if you sell a company for $10 million that, and, and, and your basis is zero, as an example, just do the math for you, what's your net result of that? Well, you have capital gain tax, you have state tax, you have whatever. So you probably lose between 30 and 40% of that in tax. So what are you keeping? So there's a conversation to be had, and you have to have to wake people up to say, here's what your net result of that transaction is going to be. Are you okay with that? If you're okay with it, fine. But that discussion has to have. Happen. Yeah, I think that actually is a nice bridge into maybe the, the next option that a lot of families explore and business owners explore, and that's maybe not necessarily what you just talked about that, which is maybe holding on to the company and building a management team, but actually selling to their management team. Very often we see that as a, as an option where you might have a one or two or, you know, multiple sort of head executives within the company and they want to get together and and take over running and owning the company after the founder uh, maybe wants to go on to the next phase of their lives. And so that's another option. Um, The benefit there, I would say, is that you, you obviously have a probably a pretty close relationship with with the buyers right probably a fam, not say familiar relationship but a close relationship because they're close employees you've been working with them for a long period of time so normally when we see that it's it, there's a there's really a, a good desire to want to really make that transaction work because i think that founders really see how hard their middle management, let's say, has worked, and they, they really want to make that transaction work. And I think that if when it's done properly, can really be a good transaction um, for everybody because, again, there's the negotiating's maybe not as adversarial as it would be with, let's say, a competitor that wants to come in and buy your company. Yeah, the only con to that would be the financing. It's very tough to sometimes yeah. the management team to get financing to buy the company. So those are all factors that have to be looked at. The next level, which I'm assuming you're going to talk about, is something called an ESOP, Employee mm-hmm. Stock Ownership Plan. Mike, I want you to walk through that. Well, that's, yeah, the ESOP was, was definitely going to be something we talked about. And that is typically for a lot of business owners that really have a, an employee focus on their company, and meaning they really have a culture that they want to remain intact. That's at least from our experience, when we've seen families and business owners that have gone down that route of exploring an ESOP, I think the top three objective they have is they want to keep that culture that they've developed in place. And they're very concerned if they were to sell to again to that outside party or a third party, that that culture would be eroded. So what an ESOP is, is essentially an, an ERISA based plan, ERISA being a retirement plan, just like your 401k plan or a pension plan. And the you sell the actual company to that plan for the benefit of the employees of the company. So really, the employees of the company over time can gain ownership o- over the growth and success of the company. So when done properly, it can really be a very, very powerful succession tool. Uh, again, typically for f- business owners that maybe don't have a family member that's involved in the company that wants to take it over or 
like you mentioned, that the, the management team might not have the capabilities or the financing to be able to buy the company. And this can really provide a, a good source of liquidity for those business owners and also benefit the employees over time. So that's really, we've seen a lot of our business owners explore that. Not all of them end up going that route, but I think it's definitely a part of the conversation we have. Now I say the con of that might be, what would you say, complexity? Yes. Probably, I think would be a good, very a good con is making sure that, that, you know, because of the tax code, it's complex. That's well, it's why. tax code. It's, you know, you have to always understand that post ESOP, which after the transaction uh, is, is completed, the business owner now very often is also staying on as an employee, maybe the CEO of the company for three to five years. They may have an employment to remain with the company to, to kind of steer the ship, but they no longer own the company and they really have to make sure that the company is managed properly because it is held for the benefit of the employees in that in that ESOP plan, that ERISA-based plan. And there's a lot of strictures that need to be met with that. So you do have to make sure that if you're going down that that route, that you really talk with your advisor team on, okay, this this the concept is great, but what does this really look like from the day-to-day management of of the company going forward? But the pros, which we touch on the tax. Uh, piece that there are a lot of pros on the tax side by being an ESOP. There's some pros if you sell as the owner, depending on the structure, you can get some tax benefits there on deferral side of, of deferring those capital gains. And then again, depending on the structure of the business, if it's owned by the ESOP plan, that's a tax-free entity as well. So you can get a lot of tax benefits at the company level um, as well, again, depending on the on the structure. So there, there's definitely a lot to consider with an ESOP. It's not for everybody, but when it's done well, it's a very, very powerful tool. I think what's the, we did a podcast long time ago. One of the first ones we did yeah, probably while we with uh, Rick, Rick Jay, who's uh, one of our specialists. Uh, I think it was a probably podcast, gosh, had to be around 15 or 20, something like that. But uh, he always tell the, tells the story around, I think Publix grocery store, which is down in the southeast is i think one of the largest they are the largest in the in the country and some of the stories he tells around how successful that esop has been just for the average employee the average cashier the average uh, person working in the in the deli counter it's 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 pretty amazing the benefits of these plans when done well and they have just such a great corporate culture as a result so there's a lot of benefits you know to going down that route too yeah, we often also run into companies that not necessarily have kids in the business, but they have partners. And partnerships are always a challenge from a structure and a sale and, and a commitment of, of a team approach to running the company. Uh, we often find that most partnerships are not successful because it's very difficult for two people to get the thoughts together in the same direction. When you find them, it's real powerful. So in most cases, we want to make sure that the shareholder agreements they have in place between each other for buying and selling of that company to each other is, is, is a good document. We call them safety valves and trap doors. We can't, we can't build documents that, that are strict. They have to be flexible because the partners need to be flexible, but it's got to be very concise on what happens if one of the partners become disabled. How is that 
affect the partnership and what's the transition or if someone passes away how does that affect the partnership in the transition or someone just says i don't like you anymore michael i'm leaving tomorrow what's the impact uh, on that decision so so partnerships are a a bigger part of our economy or, or a large part of our economy and i would say after all these years in this business i really haven't read one agreement that is a good agreement that covers a lot of those issues Believe it or not, you might be surprised about that because when we look at these documents, we take a deep dive in protecting both partners. Again, we don't take sides uh, with a client because he's one of the partners. We protect both partners because, to Michael's point earlier, the, 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 if there's not a good shareholder agreement in place and it fails, not only is the partnership and the families get involved with lawsuits and problems, you, you could lose all your employee base. So you affect possibly hundreds of families that work for the firm or the company. So, so partnerships become an interesting side of the business that most people need to pay more attention to, especially on exit strategies and how they share responsibilities in the, in the company. Yeah, I mean, just getting back to what you said at the beginning, running a business, and if you're listening to this and you run a business and own a business, I'm preaching to the choir here, you know the responsibilities that are on your shoulders and just mentioned doing things right from a succession standpoint can be great and you can benefit a lot of different people and families if you don't do it right you can unfortunately you know hurt a lot of families and that's not something anybody wants to be remembered for but it i think reinforces the concept that you really should try to focus on the succession conversation, even if it's, I know we're all so busy working in, in the companies on a day-to-day basis, but it's really important to take a step back and just find time, put it on the calendar and work through your advisor team on just updating it. Even if it's, you know, let's look over that partnership agreement. We haven't looked at it in five years or we haven't looked at it in two years, whatever it is. I think that's just important because, you know, you never know what's going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, I was lucky enough early on in my career to work with a family. They were the oldest Ford dealership in the country here out of South Jersey. Five generations were working wow. the company. It, fascinating. And when you talk, when, you, when I talked to the grandfather, his name was Cy, he was, they were so focused on the longevity of the family maintaining the business. A lot of emphasis was put on that. A lot of meetings with the kids and all the relatives. You can imagine how many relatives are involved. <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of people wanted to be involved in the company, but they structured it well. I'm, I'm not saying they didn't have conflicts, but ultimately when Cy passed away, I worked with a son who's a, ter- he's a terrific guy. And now I believe his son runs the operation. Now I haven't, I haven't, they haven't been clients of mine for a while, but they are a fascinating family. And to think about a fifth generation family and how it survives, I think the stats are only 13% of the businesses in the United States ever get to the third generation. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, or 3%. It was 13 or three, I can't remember the I number. Think it's three. It was 3%? Yeah, so it's a very low number. So when you come across a family held business that's been around for two, three, four generations, it's fascinating. We have a family in the West Coast. It's a fourth generation family now. So it's, it's interesting to see how they all develop these models and how they create leadership in their firms. But it's a lot of hard work and a lot of commitment by 
the matriarchs and patriarchs of these families to make it happen because mm-hmm. they're the leaders of the pack. Remember we always talk and joke with Michael, I'm G1, he's G2. He's got to follow my lead all the time or I fire him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, those conversations, right, Eric? Oh, I've heard those uh, before, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, as I said uh, multiple times, I've been fortunate. Michael and I have been working together 13 years now and never had bad words between each other. He's a great partner. Uh, loves our business, loves our families that we work with, loves the industry. So I got lucky on that, that event. But he's the leader of the, of, the, of the business. Now, whether his girls come into the business or one of some of my other grandkids, I'm going to leave it up to Michael. I, I won't be here. So, so he's going to have to worry about that. Well, hopefully he will be. Well, hopefully he'll be here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah, come on now. Jeez, what a downer on this podcast. More positive, right? <laughs> I, did, okay. I just turned a ripe old 70 this past month. So Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think we uh, we uh, both had April birthdays, right? Yes, we did. Yeah, and uh, I I didn't turn seventy, but you know, I'm creeping up on something. So <laughs> we'll just Creep, leave it. At that. We're all creeping up on something. <laughs> You're all creeping. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I don't want to cut you guys off by any means. I don't know if there's another way to sell the business that you want to cover. Is there something else you want to cover? Is that otherwise? I have a question about the three that you just spoke about. Well, let's. I, I have one more that okay. I think we can get through quickly. But if sure. you have a question, that I think we should stay on this topic if you have one. Okay, well, of the first three, maybe you can just incorporate your fourth option in there as well. But what I was hearing is that time frame. You started this podcast off beautifully by saying, you know, when do you talk about succession plans? It's when you start the business, right? And and you want a, an, an owner to visualize success. And I, I jokingly said at the beginning, you can't spell succession without success. So if they're looking for their business to be successful, they need to be looking at what a succession plan would look like. So when you spoke about the, the three different ones, family, a, a private investor, maybe a a competitor that may buy you out or the ESOP. It sounded to me like those were different time frames on how long somebody may be asked to stay in the business. So in other words, if it's within the family, they may not be asked to stay in the business or need to stay in the business because it's it's all internal and by the time the the sale is done, it it's probably been transferred and and not only ownership but leadership and everything has been transferred to the next generation. It sounded like with a private investor, the the current owner may be asked to stay on for one, two, maybe three years, and then the ESOP sounded like it was more of a commitment, possibly three to five years. Am I getting that right, or am I off base on those? I, I th- no, I think you're getting. I mean, obviously, it would. I would say it would depend on on the unique circumstance. I think in the family context, from what we've seen, is there's not as much of a. I would say pressure to have Gen One or Gen One or the or the seller, if you will, to leave the business because mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's more of a family affair. I mean, we see that with with our business and a lot of the businesses we work. With. It's not if I'm a buyer of Copper Beach and our situation is a little different than than maybe some. But, you know, I would think that in most cases, if a outside party, third party wanted to buy the business, I think nine times out of 10, they would say, you know, we want you to stay on for, you know, again, three to five years, whatever the time frame is. But, but at that point in time, after that, it's probably, you know, we're, we're, we'll take it from here. It's more of a transitionary mm-hmm. type of role that you stay. I think in a family context, it's a little different where there's really not that hard timeline. I mean, you yeah. can certainly do that, but I, I think more often than not, it's, it's um, you know, we want to keep the family together or there's more flexibility there with, with ownership of of the seller's shares or interest in the business and, or even maybe they're fully exited, but they stay involved somehow throughout their rest of their life. I think there's some differences there. Yeah. I'm just thinking from a, uh, from a seller's point of view, 
when you talk about the planning process, kind of what's that time frame they should be planning for if they're choosing one of the options that you're talking about? Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry, I misunderstood your question. <laughs> I would say the ESOP, if you talk about an ESOP, I would think, I mean, what would, very, very minimum 12 months, but I would even push that out maybe 24 months, yeah, I would be, say, yeah. b- before you really want to sell. I mean, I think I think five years is a really, a, I, I think five years even for any succession plans, really, when you really start wanting to think about it, I think five years really gives you a lot of time frame to to really think about all these different issues and dynamics and structure things properly. When it actually does come to fruition, there's not surprises and it, and it goes smoothly. Yeah, I think the I think the important part of this discussion today is really just you got to start talking about it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You have to understand all your options. Have an advisory team that can address timing of these these ideas, whether it's an ESOP or someone hunts a third party to buy your company, or someone spends time to develop a, a leadership team with the management side of it, or family kid or, or, or kids or family members coming into the business. Those are all things that have to be addressed on an ongoing basis. And where I see a weakness is that that's not being done. Because remember, the leader of the company, he spends 90% of his time leading the company, mm-hmm. working in the business, not on the business. We've used that term before. So working on the business is where we're, where we're talking about today, is working on the business. What are the exits? What, are the, what challenges do I have? How do I address these challenges? Where do I get help to do that? I think you gotta have that conversation on a going basis. That's where I think the weakness is after all these years doing this. No one brings it up except Copper Beach when we meet new families. Yeah, They just say, I really haven't had that conversation with my current advisors in 20 years. I'm not knocking the other advisors, but that's not really their role. We've had that conversation in the past as well. Uh, Copper Peach was designed as an organization to pay attention to this detail, and that's that family CFO role, is that someone's got to pay attention to the structure like they pay attention to being a CFO in the in the company, pay attention to the structure, the leadership teams, tax issues, to cash flow modeling, to valuation issues, that same thing has to be done on the family side. That's what this relates to. Yeah, and, and, and you're just being very kind because you you wouldn't, you know, bash any other advisor. But at the same time, if an advisor has a family that has a, owns a family business and they're not talking about this, they're failing the family. Period. They're failing their client. In my opinion, now this is only my opinion, <laughs> not maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to be. We always, Michael, I was always careful with that because they play a key role with these families, mm-hmm. but it's more on a silo approach. We've again, we talked about that. They have a certain role. Lawyers do lawyer work. CPAs do tax work. Financial uh, planners do a certain work. Investment managers do certain work. But it's the coordination of the skill sets of all these people. Okay. Tying together to develop the strategy of the family. That's what we do or help to do. But quite often, and Michael will tell you, we had a conversation yesterday with a family. We have a legal team that's not really qualified to draft the documents we need to draft with this family because mm. it's very high-level documents. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the widow, who in this case took over the company when, when her husband said to Michael, I agree with you, Michael, we, we, need to, we need to step up to the plate and get a specialist in to draft mm-hmm. those documents, not change her relationship with the current legal team. It's just adding in another layer of an advisor that has that specialty. Got it. Uh, that's how we look at Copper Beach. We're like, most people are GPs, we're, we're specialists. So if you have a doctor that says, listen, you need to have a specialist look at your knee, that's a Copper Beach analogy. Mm-hmm. You have a specialist look at what your planning or your generational issues are. The next step is, 
you need a specialist to handle this document or handle this this conversation with the family. Maybe you bring in a, a family coach or a family counselor or, or, or a consultant of some sort. So we get involved in all that with our families. I didn't mean to go off track, but it's all, it's all about starting this conversation as soon as you can get started with someone who's growing a business. Okay. Yeah. Yep, I would add to that just to have, to your point, Eric, from before in terms of, of the advisors, uh, you know, with call it failing the family or the, the business. I mean, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for, for us with what we do to, to guide families through this. And I think some advisors, they, they just either might not want to wade into those waters, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, but we, we think it's just so vitally important that you at least start to have the conversations that, that we think we need to take on that mantle, but it's a challenge. So yeah. I, it, to get the families themselves to sometimes really want to focus on it, it's, and ultimately, you know, you can drag the horse to water, but you can't make them yeah. drink. And we can't, we can't care about these issues more than the family themselves. It, sometimes True. that doesn't work. Struggle. Another third party story. I had a client. A few. He's been with us nine years now. But nine years ago, he came in our office and, and he hired Copper Beach to do his work. We met him in Vancouver for dinner at a conference, and he sat across the table with me. Michael, he's okay. You did your work. You, you started to work with me over the last year, and and I paid you your fee. Now what? <laughs> <laughs> and to Michael always says, planning never stops. It's an ongoing effort that has to be addressed, to my point a few minutes ago. You got to stay on top of this stuff. Nine years later, he was in our office, and he said, I hate coming here. And I said, why? <laughs> He's because I leave here with projects from you guys. It never stops. You guys always challenge me, and you're always on top of stuff. You always make me do things that I'm not ready to do, but I'm excited about doing them. So, so it's really that paying attention to the details of a family that's complex. Mm -hmm. Your family's complex, Eric. My family's complex. We're all, all people with different thoughts, different philosophies, different values, and you have to address that with, with family businesses. And that's getting back to what we just talked about. There's a lot of ebbs and flow or things that can be addressed, but no one's addressing them. We do at Copper Beach. As I hate to pitch Copper Beach, but we get very passionate about what we do because always three, four years later after we work with a client, they always say to us, now I know what you guys do. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> there's so, so much complexity in what we do. When we settle in and develop a strategy, they get it after about three to four years. That's about on, on average. Would you Got agree it. with that, Michael? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, Michael, I, again, I know that I cut you off. I apologize uh, because of my question. But you said you had one more option that, that family businesses can look at. Yeah, and any business really, but the the one option that we don't see as much on our end, just with the, with the families that we have, but I think it's changing over recent years, and that's really initial public offering. That is an option if you want to have a succession to your business, you can undergo an IPO and and mm -hmm. have that route. That's a very particular, very complicated route to go, and again probably a very small minority of the businesses that are that are formed that are out there go that route but it is an option and it's very on, expensive yeah and depending on your mm. type of business that might make more sense than 
you know, another type of business that, that just doesn't make sense for. But, you know, one thing I, I've seen, we could probably, I think it would be a good podcast topic are these uh, special purpose acquisition companies that are, that are out there that are getting very popular. And, and if you look at the statistics, a lot of the IPOs or the, or the numbers are really increasing over the last couple of years as a result of these, these particular SPACs as they, as the acronym that's used. And so, you know, again, we, I wanted to mention that again, it's probably not going to be the vast majority of businesses when they have a plan that that's going to be an option for them, but it might be a viable one depending on your company. So I would have that conversation at least just to check it off the list if it doesn't make sense or if it does continue to explore that. But that was really the last one that I wanted to touch on too. Gotcha. Well, I'm again, this podcast is nationwide. You guys are creeping up on a hundred episodes, which is just crazy good, but there's going to be a listener that is, maybe they are in the first couple of years of their business and they never thought that they should be thinking about succession plan now. And now they have to, and now they're thinking about it. Or there's somebody that's been experienced uh, and has been in their business for a very long time. And they're getting to that point and they didn't know that there were some other options besides selling it to a third party. We want them to reach out to you, right? This is what you guys specialize in. So what's the best way to get a hold of you so they can ask follow-up questions and figure out what plan is best for them? Sure. You can always reach us on social media, both my father and myself. We're on LinkedIn. We have a, a Copper Beach page as well. If you'd like to reach out via, via that page, you can get in touch with us on our website, www.cbfg llc.com and our phone number is area code 856-988-8300 all right fantastic guys thank you so much for your time again today uh, i again i know you guys have covered some succession plans before but not in this depth and i learned a lot more today hey okay. good yeah i hope you know we can continue to bring these these conversations back into the forefront because again i think we had talked about it a while ago and it just it seemed like the right time to bring it back into the forefront so hopefully that was helpful absolutely all right and of course our last thank you goes to your listening audience thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the truth about wealth podcast with john and michael paris if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet please click the subscribe now button below this way when john and michael come out with a new podcast it'll show up directly on your listening device this really makes it easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. 
Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.